I'm your host, Nick Dyson, the Scientific Director at the Mass General Cancer Center, and this is episode 41. Today we're here with David Miyamoto, uh, talking with David about a paper that he just published in Cancer Discovery, in which he has developed an assay for measuring circulating tumor cells from prostate cancer in, in blood. And uh, in the last podcast, you gave us a really nice introduction into the clinical issue this trying to draw a distinction um, between who's going to respond to an androgen uh, targeting therapy and who is not. Um, and you said that you set out to develop uh, an assay that could measure the circulating tumor cells. So can you introduce a little bit, tell us a little bit about how you started and, and uh, what you did? Sure. Happy to do that. You know, it's interesting that the reason we chose to look at circulating tumor cells in prostate cancer as a potential biopsy is that, especially metastatic prostate cancer, uh, the the tumor tends to spread to the bones. And ideally, we would actually just take samples of the bone or of the the actual metastatic tumors as as we might do in, in other disease sites. But in prostate cancer, that's not standard at all because when prostate cancer goes to the bone, um, and and uh, if if for example uh, we were to order a bone biopsy on mm-hmm. a patient, it's very painful for the patient. It's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, not usually very successful because our imaging methods for bone metastases is, is not as good as, for example, uh, soft tissue metastases. So yes. it's not always clear exactly where that tumor is within the bone. So the success rate of a bone biopsy is very difficult. So this is where uh, circulate, looking at circulating tumor cells is extremely useful because, number one, you can avoid this painful bone biopsy procedure, but also um, you can actually uh, do this non-invasively. You can sample the, the tumor cells um, at, at various time points during your therapy, so you could look before therapy, after therapy, uh, and you can do so repeatedly with, without uh, inconveniencing the patient. So circulating tumor cells are really attractive as a potential biomarker and as a potential way to get tumor samples uh, in patients with metastatic prostate cancer. So, um, you know, we had previously tried looking at this question of developing biomarkers based on CTCs in the setting of abiraterone therapy by using several other methods, um, again, using this microfluidic device, which can allow us to isolate these circulating tumor cells very effectively and very gently. But uh, initially, we had tried using immunofluorescence approaches, mm-hmm. so basically looking at protein markers mm-hmm. in the cells to determine whether any of these protein markers uh, correlate with response or resistance to therapy. And we had some success in doing that, but the pr- the issue was that using microscopy was very time-intensive, labor-intensive. Uh, this microfluidic device, although it enriches the CTCs tremendously, there's still a background of white blood cells, several hundred to occasionally a couple thousand uh, white blood cells in the background. So just searching for the CTC on the slide is is a is that technical challenge in itself, and then when you're using immunofluorescence, um, which means basically using antibodies specific to uh, different targets, um, and and uh, using microscopy to identify those present on the cells, 
the problem with immunofluorescence is that you often get background staining, and, mm -hmm. and you're not entirely sure if what you're looking at is a CTC or maybe it was a white blood cell with, with a little bit of contaminating staining. So the specificity wasn't really there. Now, we subsequently decided to look at um, single-cell RNA sequencing, and the reason why we went to a single-cell approach is to avoid this whole contamination mm -hmm. issue of the white blood cells, and the reason we went to RNA sequencing is because we wanted to look, instead of at the protein level, if we start using sequencing at the RNA level, then we can really uh, increase the specificity of our signal right. uh, because we're using a sequencing approach. And it gives you a much more complete picture of what's happening in the cell. Absolutely. So it gives us a broad picture of the transcriptional profile of the cell and how that may relate to resistance or uh, yeah. response to therapy. And uh, we, we, again, had some success with that. But when we thought about how can we apply this to the clinic, really start thinking about the practical aspects. And RNA sequencing and single-cell isolation is very labor-intensive and yes. very costly. It, is, it costs a lot of money to, to sequence these individual cells, and you start to run to questions about how many cells do you need to sequence mm -hmm. per patient, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and how can this be practically implemented mm -hmm. in the clinic. And so that was the reason why we decided to take the approach that we took in this paper, which is droplet digital PCR of actually the bulk CTC product that comes out of mm -hmm. the microfluidic device. So it's a mixture, it's a CTCs in, it's an enriched CTC mixture, so there's still white blood cells present, right. but then we subject this to droplet digital PCR. Yes. And so this is a much more high-throughput assay that you can do uh, relatively easily and quickly. Uh, it doesn't give you the global analysis of all uh, transcripts. It, it's targeted at specific transcripts. Exactly. So with droplet digital PCR, it's we, we have to look at individual genes uh, that we select ahead of time. Right. Uh, but when, we, when we've selected a panel of genes, then we can apply this in a very high-throughput manner and we can do it uh, at, at very low cost. Right. And so the challenge I imagine then is identifying which genes you're going to look at. Exactly. So uh, because of the nature of the approach we chose, we had to pick genes that were highly specifically expressed in prostate cancer cells, but not expressed in normal blood cells. Yes. And the way we arrived at that list was through a combination of bioinformatic approaches looking at um, both our own data sets of prostate CTCs as well as publicly available data sets of prostate cancer versus normal prostate versus yes. other health normal tissues. Yes. And it, this is where the background of your previous work was really helpful because I know you'd done a sort of in-depth RNA sequence analysis of the changing signaling pathways in prostate cancer CTCs. Absolutely. So, so you had a, a, a really huge database of these transcriptional profiles. Exactly. So we relied a lot on that, that existing database of, of CTCs. So we knew what genes were expressed in CTCs, and we wanted to pick which genes uh, are, are really specifically expressed in CTCs compared yeah. to white blood cells and right. may be informative. Right. And so you narrowed on your favorite set of candidates, and it was quite a small list. It was a small list, and and I think one important thing to keep in mind is that this paper is a proof of concept. Uh, we can certainly change that that list of genes to, to accommodate whatever 
uh, question we want to ask. Yes. And um, and it's 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 not a fixed list necessarily. So uh, it, this is a a broad approach that could be applied to a variety of different settings. Right. And you picked your favorite candidates uh, to start with. And then the, the paper starts, I think, with a set of controls. So proving that this is a useful and, um, set of genes to, um, and specific for the prostate cancer cells. Exactly. So um, we, you know, the, one of the key experiments we had to do was actually spike uh, individual cultured prostate cancer cells into blood and we did that using micromanipulation. We actually picked individual cells and then added varying numbers of cells to uh, uh, tubes of blood, yeah. uh, all the way from uh, one cell up to 50 to several hundred cells. And then we ran that blood that was spiked with these known numbers of cancer cells through the microfluidic device and then assessed for sensitivity, uh, yes. the signal, what's the signal to noise ratio. And we were able to uh, see a sensitivity of, of down to picking up a single cell that was spiked That's into amazing. the blood. So that, that was really, uh, uh, really gratifying to us that we could find a single cell uh, through this bulk uh, procedure. Yes. Yes, one, you almost wonder then if it's too sensitive that if you're now going to be picking up uh, random prostate uh, cells that have just uh, sloughed off from normal tissue, I would imagine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, and, and you know, we, we picked the genes that were most uh, likely to be cancer-specific, but the other way we, we controlled for that was by testing a variety of healthy donors. So these are patients without a diagnosis of cancer, um, we were very careful to look at age-matched pairs. So we looked at patients below the age of 50 as well as patients above the age of 50. That's, that's important because prostate cancer is most common in, in uh, patients who are, uh, for example, above the age of 50. Uh, and so, um, and what we saw was a very clean signal in the healthy donors compared to patients with known prostate cancer. Right. So no signal in the healthy patients. And, and signal only in the patients with prostate cancer. That's that's right. So, uh, in the metastatic prostate cancer, so we, we had patients with known metastatic disease, um, as well as some patients with localized disease, and in patients with metastatic prostate cancer, uh, we were seeing signal in greater than ninety percent of the patients. Yes. Um, whereas uh, we saw essentially no signal in the healthy donor controls. Uh, we did see some signal in the localized patients, uh, mm. and that's something that we investigated further later in the paper. Yes, yes. And then how did the signal compare to PSA levels? Because I know PSA levels are often used for diagnosis. So it's interesting. So PSA it stands for prostate-specific mm -hmm. antigen. So what's important to, to know is that actually PSA um, is, is not cancer-specific. It's mm -hmm. also expressed by normal uh, prostate cells. And there are various issues uh, with PSA, certainly in the localized, in the screening setting. And even in the metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer setting, it's not a, a perfect biomarker right. uh, in terms of tumor burden, tumor load. So, um, so interestingly, we saw some correlation with PSA, but it was not a perfect correlation you know, with, in terms of CTC signal yes. versus PSA. Yes. So you did this extensive series of controls to show that it's specific for the tumor cells, specific for the metastatic tumor cells. Um, and, and then what did you do next with it? Well, so at the same time, we also developed uh, assays, similar digital PCR assays for 
two other biomarker potential biomarkers that have been in the literature as uh, as being potentially predictive for yes. response to different therapies. Um, it, one is Tempers 2 erg uh, which is a fusion gene product that's found in about 50% of cancers. The other is ARV7, which is a splice variant of the angiogen receptor, uh, which is actually uh, constitutively active in the absence of uh, AR ligand. And, um, and, and so we developed uh, similar assays for, for those two. Uh, we were able to detect um, cancer cells spiked into blood at very low levels right. with, with those two genes as well. So, so the distinction here then is that your signature that you developed is essentially normal genes, just expressed at higher levels. But the two genes that you're talking about now, the two markers that you're talking about now, one would be a tumor-specific splice variant, and the other is a tumor-specific mutation. Have I understood that? Yeah, correctly? that's fair. That's fair. I mean, a lot of these uh, genes in the original, the, in the eight-gene signature, uh, are uh, express. They're lineage-specific genes, uh, but right. uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, they, they they are expressed to some extent in normal prostate cells, but they're they're usually highly expressed or overexpressed yes. in prostate cancer. Right. Uh, whereas these other two are. Uh, found almost exclusively uh, in prostate cancer cells. I see. So, but uh, you know, we we decided to uh, look to develop this broad signature so that uh, we could capture uh, any any cells in, in the circulation. I mean, one of the advantages of, of looking at multiple genes is that um, you can see what the signal is, and then really just focus in on whatever whichever gene right. turns out to be the most informative when you make yes. your final decisions yes. in terms of the, the final biomarker. So it's almost like you have a committee of, of genes that each gives you a slightly different readout that might read out different subsets of tumors, but collectively they give you the best group predictor. That's right. So uh, one thing we learned from our single cell sequencing studies is that there's a tremendous amount of heterogeneity mm -hmm. in circulating tumor cells, um, even from a, an individual patient. And so each, which is frightening to some extent, uh, but, yes. uh, and so to account for that we, we wanted to cast a broad net to capture as many of these cells as possible. Yeah. So you have your signature and you have an assay, and th then the question is, does it work? Exactly. So we applied this signature, uh, this, this uh, digital PCR assay for CTCs, in the setting of a clinical trial mm -hmm. of patients who are receiving abiraterone in the first-line setting. So these are metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer patients who have failed androgen deprivation therapy uh, and are starting abiraterone as their first-line yes. therapy. This is second-line. Your second-line second therapy yeah. after ADT, exactly. So um, in, that, in that setting, we essentially wanted to see if we took a blood draw before the patient started abiraterone, can we use our signature or some subset of genes within the signature to distinguish between the, the patients who do well on abiraterone versus who do poorly on abiraterone. Yes. And what we found was that uh, when, we, when we did that, the circulating tumor cell score, the CTC score, which is a composite of the eight genes, uh, actually predicted for 
a poor response to abiraterone. So if you had a high CTC score, you actually had a six-fold greater chance of dying of prostate cancer yes. compared to those who had a, a lower CTC score. Yes. Uh, and, and, and this was uh, pretty remarkable to us. It, it's an amazing result. I mean, I, I'm looking at the, the figure, in, at figure 4C, where you have the difference in overall survival of the patients um, in these two groups, the, those that score high for your CTCs and those that scored low for the signature. Exactly. And, the, and the difference in outcome is amazing. If I understand it correctly, all the patients who had the high score have died within 18 months of the start of the drug treatment. That's right, and, it, and that, that held true also for radiographic progression-free survival where yes. uh, these patients developed um, evidence of radiographic progression on abiraterone. And so, and, and that's contrasted with 75% of the, of the patients who had a, a low score with the CTCs are, are um, still alive at 24 months. So yeah. a real black and white distinction. Exactly, exactly. So, and you know, it's important to keep in mind this is an initial trial. Uh, we need to validate this in larger cohorts of patients to really confirm these findings, but certainly very promising as a potential biomarker in this setting. Yes, yes. And, th and then, uh, certainly in the paper, you go through the individual genes and work out which ones are contributing what to which subset of patients. Exactly. So, uh, we we took a closer look at the individual genes that make up the CTC score, and it was really interesting to us. HoxB13, which actually turns out to be a, a home, it's a homeobox uh, transcription factor gene that's important in development, uh, but also has been implicated in prostate cancer progression. Um, it's uh, and it's also actually uh, has been found to modulate androgen receptor transcriptional activity. But the HoxB13 gene actually, um, if you had high levels of HoxB13 in the CTC score, then that patient was almost 12 times more likely to die of prostate cancer compared to those who had low levels of yes. HoxB13 yes. in, in the setting of this abiraterone right. trial. So potentially this is incredibly valuable then in being able to distinguish people who will respond well to this therapy from those who won't. That's right. And we looked also at this uh, this other potential biomarker ARV7, mm -hmm. which we which I mentioned before, uh, this androgen receptor splice variant, and that also had a tremendous predictive value in, in terms of patients uh, with the ARV7 actually uh, also died much sooner than patients who did not have ARV7. Yes, and that that was confirmatory of prior results, uh, but. What was interesting is that not very many patients in our study had that uh, had high levels of ARV7, yes, yes. and so uh, ARV7 alone as a biomarker probably wouldn't have been that helpful in the in this context. Right. But before we go on to discuss a little bit more about the where you're taking that work, um, uh, at the end of the paper you move to a different kind of application for this signature. Do you want to just quickly go through that? Because you, you use it in a very different clinical setting with a different group of patients. Absolutely. So we were really excited about the results that we were getting in the metastatic prostate cancer setting. And we were interested in thinking about, well, can we extend this to the localized prostate cancer setting? So these are patients who have no evidence of metastases. It's actually the vast majority of patients with prostate cancer. Yes. So as I mentioned, there are 200,000 about uh, cases of prostate cancer diagnosed each year, 
uh, about about 30,000 develop uh, metastatic disease and, and unfortunately pass away. But as you can see, the vast majority actually have localized disease that often can be cured and often can be just watched. Yes. And so the big question in localized prostate cancer, one that um, I encounter all the time when I see my patients in the clinic, is how, how do we manage this localized disease? Yes. Should we go forward with surgery, a radical prostatectomy to remove the prostate? Should go with one of the many forms of radiation therapy, yes. with or without hormonal therapy? Or should we go with active surveillance, which is essentially just watching mm -hmm. the cancer and um, making sure that it doesn't progress right. uh, over time. And so the current tools for making these decisions about treatment, the, the most appropriate treatment for the prostate cancer is based on clinical pathologic factors. So, the, so in general, PSA, so this is the serum PSA yeah. level, the Gleason score of the tumor, which is the grade, the aggressiveness of so the... So this is the pathologist looking at the biopsy um, under a microscope. That's right. That's right. And uh, and then finally, the, the clinical stage, which is whether or not the tumor can be felt on a digital rectal exam. And in terms of the Gleason score, um, it's important to note that prostate cancer is diagnosed with these tiny biopsies, so that these little needles mm -hmm. that are placed in the prostate. And so there's a sampling issue there. And um, and so we, we don't always know the full picture of how aggressive the tumor is just by the uh, looking under the microscope at these tiny biopsy segments. Yes. And in fact, what happens often is that sometimes when people patients go in, on to radical prostatectomy, then uh, the removal of the prostate, then uh, the pathology results at the time of prostatectomy are surprising in terms of the uh, unexpected dissemination of the cancer mm -hmm. beyond the prostate, for example, mm -hmm. into the seminal vesicles mm -hmm. or into the, the lymph nodes. Yes. And um, it, it obviously depends on the initial characteristics of the tumor, but um, but in general, you, you can see uh, unexpected dissemination of disease in, in somewhere around 10 to 20% of patients. I see, I see. And what we wanted to know is can we use a CTC signature, so can we look in the blood in these patients who are about to go for surgery mm -hmm. and determine ahead of time whether or not a patient will have Right. Uh, unexpected dissemination right. of disease beyond their prostate. Because the opportunity then is that you might be able to use the blood-based assay for diagnosis to determine whether or not you have the surgery. Yeah, there, there are a lot of different potential implications, yeah. one of which would be, um, can we use this to uh, in patients who probably would need more than just surgery, can, should we use this as a way to intensify therapy? Uh, add, for example, neoadjuvant, um, chemotherapy or hormonal therapy uh, regimens before treatment? Um, should we be applying combinations of radiation and other, uh, right. other methods to really intensify right. that therapy? And so the study that we did here was we looked at patients who uh, were about to have radical prostatectomy who were scheduled for radical prostatectomy and um, who had no radiographic evidence of disease dissemination on standard imaging, including bone scan, CT scan, MRI. And we, uh, we obtained a blood draw for mm -hmm. CTC characterization prior to surgery, and then we compared that to 
what was found at the time of surgery. Mm -hmm. And very interestingly, we found that um, out of 34 patients who were enrolled in this study, six of them had uh, disease dissemination beyond the prostate, so seminal vesicle invasion or lymph node involvement. Um, these spanned a variety of standard risk groups, uh, including um, several tiers of Gleason grade, uh, Gleason score, um, PSA, T score, uh, sorry, T stage. And um, what we found was that if you had a high CTC score, then you were 100% likely to have this mm -hmm. microscopic dissemination mm -hmm. of disease. So, so in the three patients who had a high CTC score prior to surgery, um, all three of them uh, had uh, had evidence of dissemination of disease. Right. Right. And so, you know, these are small numbers. We're still exploring this further, but it's a it's a promising signal in that perhaps we can use this blood-based diagnostic method to predict ahead of time and, and to, to know how far a cancer has spread uh, yeah. from, from the prostate and perhaps we can use that information to better tailor therapy for that individual patient. Yes, that sounds really valuable. Thank you for going through that paper with us, David. Um, I've got questions to ask you about where you're going with this next, but we'll take a break and we'll do that in the next podcast. Thank you again. Sounds good. Thank you. To read David's recent article at Advances at the Mass General Cancer Center, go to massgeneral.org slash cancer slash advances. Join us for episode 42, where David will be back to help us understand where his team will be going from here with this study. 